Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Joined from Brockville, Ontario, by Scott Newark. Mr. Newark is a former Alberta Crown Prosecutor, former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. He's head of the Office for Victims of Crime in Ontario, a senior policy advisor to a former federal public safety minister and adjunct professor at British Columbia's Simon Fraser University. That's quite a mouthful, Scott Newark. Welcome back to the Roy Green Show. (laughs) Yes, I suppose it is. It's good to have you uh, back with us today, Scott. Uh, I wanted to talk about the resolution of the SNC-Lavalin case. Uh, yes. uh, it, 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 of course, uh, one of the newsmakers of the year that Roy will no doubt be talking at length about next weekend is Jody Wilson-Raybould, who was, of course, Mr. Trudeau's uh, attorney general during the time of the SNC-Lavalin affair. And after it has unraveled and we saw the resolution, uh, she uh, sort of st- took a step back and said, that's kind of the way I expected it would work out. So for the benefit of those still trying to get a handle on all of this, what was the resolution? What was the deal that was struck? Well, um, what actually happened was that the Crown agreed to enter into a plea bargain with a corporate subsidiary of SNC-Lavalin. In other words, it's a individually incorporated company within SNC-Lavalin. It's SNC-Lavalin Construction, uh, where they were allowed to plead guilty to one of the charges that had originally been laid and the uh, sentence was agreed to. That, that is, in effect, a, you know, a normal methodology of a plea bargain that takes place uh, you know, every single day in uh, Canadian courtrooms. Sure. Um, the, the real point about this, however, is... Um, what this tells us about, you know, what was the original scandal uh, from uh, earlier in the year and why it uh, even took place uh, at all. I must admit, when I saw this, and when, it, when the, this first came out back in uh, the beginning of the year, I actually wrote a piece for the McDonnell laurie Institute describing sort of the inside of what was going on, and I described it as egocentric dysfunctionality, or, hmm. in other words, welcome to Ottawa. Yeah. Because none of this should have ever taken place. And it was because of, in my opinion, and supported by the facts, uh, you know, literally the egos of people involved in demanding things be done the way that they wanted, and including, by the way, Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould. Right. Okay. Uh, and so we ended up with this scandal uh, that has now been resolved that has given the company what they originally wanted in that uh, what was described as the deferred prosecution agreement. Right. So I think the larger question for anybody who's interested in this is, you know, why wasn't this kind of an arrangement, you know, uh, worked out back a, a year ago? And why well, go let's... through all of this? Well, let's talk about because the the thing that really bothered a lot of people, Scott, once the the details became available, was how this began in the first place. The Liberals passed an omnibus bill of multiple hundreds of pages, into which they slipped two or three pages uh, in in regarding the way the Justice Department uh, is capable of dealing with certain clients in certain cases. The the piece was inserted in 
into the bill and therefore passed explicitly at the behest of SNC-Lavalin. So my question to you, Counselor, is did they get what they what the bill, what that sleazy little add-on that they, they slid through, did, did Lavalin get what everything they wanted uh, from that? At the end of the day, yes, but not through the mechanism that you just described, which is the deferred prosecution agreement. What happened was, and people need to keep this in mind, what it, this pertains to allegations of uh, you know, corruption and fraud uh, by the company in Libya going back 15 to 20 years. And, right. and I got it where they were bribing the Gaddafi regime, in other words, to get contracts. And I got to tell you, first of all, I've done work in the Middle East, okay, and paying uh, you know, people in government office the way that you do business. Uh, it's actually got a name it's called Bakshish. Mm-hmm. So the issue of whether or not we should have even laid these kinds of charges, and these are relatively new uh, measures that allow for, uh, in Canada, for us to lay charges about corporate activities of companies abroad. It's part of an international sort of an approach to things. Mm-hmm. So the cops lay the charges, and SNC-Lavalin, which has been through this before and had criminal convictions before, goes to the prosecution and says, okay, we'd like to enter into a deferred prosecution agreement. And the prosecutor's office says, well, um, we don't have a law specifically authorizing that. Now, prosecutors are able to use their discretion to decide how a case can be dealt with. And whether it's called a deferred prosecution agreement or not, they have a lawful authority that they could have done this had they wanted. But in particular, this uh, group out of Montreal, the prosecutors of Montreal said, well, no, it's not in law, so we can't do it. That's why SNC-Lavalin, entirely legally, uh, and no one has ever suggested they did anything wrong in the way that they did this, went to Parliament and lobbied to get the criminal code changed to create legislation that authorized this deferred prosecution agreement, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. That's what got put into the, uh, the, uh, the omnibus, uh, the omnibus bill. bill, the right. budget bill, as you described. Mm-hmm. But guess whose department was responsible for drafting the bill? Jody Wilson-Rabels, because it was an amendment to the criminal code. Correct. And you know what? The bill is so badly drafted. The cri- it, one part of it lists the criteria that you, the prosecutor should use to uh, consider approving the, such a, an agreement. And then the next section, in virtually identical language, uses a description of things that they shouldn't consider, which are virtually the same thing. So after they get the legislation passed, SNC-Lavalin goes back to the prosecutor's office thinking they're going to be successful and says, okay, well, now we've got the legislation authorization you said you needed. Right. The prosecutors go, no, we won't give it to you. And they refuse to even tell them why they wouldn't do it. So in many ways, this whole controversy, I think, has been self-created by the uh, different people involved, and that's where it then went to the next steps, where SNC-Lavalin went to politicians and tried to get them to overturn, in effect, the decision of the prosecutors by getting the attorney general to reverse it. And even though there's some legitimate basis in a very restricted way to do that, in my opinion, without any doubt whatsoever, it crossed lines in the way that people were doing things. But the whole point of it was, is that there, the real reason why SNC-Lavalin objected to this was that if they were convicted under government policy, they would be barred from bidding on contracts in Canada for 10 right. years. Right, absolutely. Okay, but you know what? 
That's not in the law. It's not in the criminal code. It was government policy for the uh, public procurement uh, department, and they were actually changing their policy. So why didn't anybody say, well, look, let's change the policy and we can avoid all this criminal code stuff? Sure. Instead, as I say, the egos took over of the minister saying, I've said this, how dare you question my opinion, mm-hmm. and the political staffers. And look, I've worked in ministers' offices, and I've worked with senior officials. That's why I say, you know, welcome to Ottawa. Everybody was, why aren't you doing what I'm saying? Instead of somebody saying, let's find a solution. So now they pay a hefty fine. and over five uh, years. Over five years, uh, and, and that's it. Is it over? Well, they got, uh, apparently they got uh, three years probation, but here's a couple oh, yes. of more twists. They were allowed to plead guilty to the charge of fraud, not bribery, and under the conditions of where they, uh, a, uh, a prohibition could be put on bidding on contracts, guess what? Um, it doesn't apply the same way on um, uh, fraud charges as it does on bribery charges. On the fraud charges... It only applies if the fraud was committed against the Canadian government. And, of course, in this case, it wasn't. It was committed against the Libyans. Libya, sure. So the ban on uh, getting uh, contracts doesn't apply to them. That's as I say. I mean, you know, it's the outcome they wanted from the get-go, but instead we've gone through this circus over the last year of all of this, which none of which was, was necessary, in my opinion. Interesting. Oh, by the way, just a curiosity question before I take the break here, Scott. You're a former Crown Prosecutor. Yes. You know the answer, and it's a short one. Where does the money go? There's a you couple hundred million that bucks. That is and- an excellent question. So let me see if I've got this straight. Uh, the It was the Libyan people who got defrauded. So yep. are they getting the $280 million or is it going to the government of Canada? What do you think the answer to that is? I suspect it's staying right here. You got it. Interesting. Scott, stand by, please. Scott Newark joining us on the line from Brockville, Ontario. Scott Newark is a former Crown Prosecutor and, uh, well, a a very involved Canadian guy joining us from Brockville, Ontario. Uh, Quoting a story from Global News a couple of days ago for you here, Scott, for your comment, please. Prime Minister Trudeau says his government might have acted differently had it known the criminal case against SNC-Lavalin would be resolved without crippling the company or throwing thousands of its employees out of work. That was the act. That was the official dance. We're protecting 9,000 Canadian jobs. Yes, so in other words, had I uh, done the work to know uh, what I was being told wasn't true, I wouldn't have done what I did, but I couldn't have been bothered to actually have done the work or not pay attention to it. Ouch, okay. In part, it's, it's a good example of what I just find so farcical about this whole thing is none of this was necessary. Had people from the Prime Minister all the way down to, you know, senior officials in my opinion, done the uh, the right work, asked the right questions, none of this would have happened, including well, you know, the potential abuse of the system where people were, you know, crossing the line, in my opinion, with respect to the way they were speaking to the Attorney General. Well, you know, and the other part about it that I found sort of uh, difficult to comprehend, Scott, was the fact that there was this threat, this implied threat that, you know, if we, we'll just move, we'll just yeah, take no our kidding, Canadian... Eh? And, 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 you know, all you had to do 
was dig about uh, one layer below that threat and realize that the even the lease on the building that they have doesn't expire for another five or ten years. It was all hot air. And yet this was what the, the pivot point for the entire federal government approach to the case. Well, we're just we've got to preserve those jobs, which I must tell you resonated really badly in provinces in Canada where hundreds of thousands of people have lost their jobs already. Yeah. Well, Sterling, to your point about, you know, uh, why they uh, kept saying that after, you know, the most basic research showed that it was ridiculous, that if they had uh, said that, oh, well, that's not the case, that would have uh, meant that they would have had to admit that what they had had been saying previously hadn't been perfect, and we know that's certainly not possible. <laughs> that's what I mean about the arrogance that I think this case has revealed at multiple levels, at both the political and bureaucratic level. Like, how could there not have been someone? It took me probably about, you know, an hour and a half, and I have some familiarity with procurement procedures, but it maybe took me an hour and a half to dig around and find, find out that the, the ban on uh, bidding on uh, contracts in Canada was simply government policy that, in fact, was under review at the, at the time. Right. I find it really hard to believe that some official within some of the departments didn't, you know, hey, say, hey, here's a solution for this, but was met with, uh, we already decided what the, the answer is. Mm-hmm. And I suppose it was it was the lack of anyone calling out this this threat. Well, we're going to leave. It's all over. We're 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 going to take our ball and go home, basically. But and nobody yes, on, on, so, on anybody in the political about, spectrum said, you know, "Hey, come example, on." Um, why they weren't allowed to enter into a deferred prosecution agreement? I mean, if we change the legislation to create it and it's been used in the United States and in Great Britain as well, too, and considering the facts of it, for example, why would the prosecution service make that decision and then refuse to give the information to the company? Mm-hmm. I mean, no wonder they got pissed off and said, oh, well, we've got to go to Ottawa now. And that, that's my sentiment, I think, is throughout the system, had people done their job properly, this wouldn't have been the controversy and the you know, quotation mark crisis that it was. It's uh, also interesting post-election to have noticed the profile of the prime minister virtually disappear in terms of the uh, public consumption after, of course, overconsumption during the election campaign. It's an enormous relief to us all, but it's quite dramatic. Yes. I, uh, I must admit I had a feeling that was uh, going to be the case, that uh, the, um, the way in which the election unfolded uh, for him personally as well, too, uh, you know, that is one of the manifestations, I think, of it, and it will continue on. And this case, this one that was so high profile, and, and look, deservedly so. I mean, some of the uh, most senior government officials acted, in my opinion, improperly in the way they dealt with the, uh, the attorney general, who also, in my opinion, uh, did not exactly exercise the highest levels of competence in her handling of the file. Mm. Uh, but you'll, you'll notice that, of course, that the uh, our new prime minister uh, doesn't want to have anything to do with this case anymore. Well, it is true. Uh, so what's the upshot now? How is this going to be recorded in the history books? Because now it, it finally, I do believe, is history, Scott. Is it, going well, to be a, is it going to be a footnote, or is it going to deserve at least a paragraph? Um, I think... Uh, you know, you never know. Maybe I'll write another article for the uh, the Policy Institute about <laughs> the, uh, uh, that, you know, uh, unfortunately what I was sort of commenting on back in March turned out to be true. 
I think this is going to be something that is a, a footnote at best and uh, potentially something that may have some relevance in uh, the way in which, for example, the public prosecution uh, service conducts itself in the, uh, in the future. Interesting. It turns out to be the number two news story of the year, according to the Canadian press. Mm-hmm. Climate change being number one, SNC-Lavalin number two. Although I think the, uh, the portion of the SNC-Lavalin story that is number two uh, is not what happened uh, with the guilty plea. Oh, it's the scandal. scandal Sure. The way that the attorney general was treated and the way in which, you know, as you said, the company was uh, supplying uh, bogus information. Uh, And and yet the the way in which the the case has now been dealt with, I think, confirms uh, the reality that uh, none of this needed to happen in the first place. Now, good point to end on, too, and, you know, and to what enormous relief for most of it that it, it's over, for yeah. goodness sake. Yeah. Scott Newark, thanks for this. Great to speak to you, and uh, the very best uh, for an excellent Christmas to you and your family in Brockville. You as well, Sterling. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.